Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News, where today we're broadcasting live from the Freedom Phone Studios in Washington, D.C. Yes, we're big fans of the phone, and we've introduced you to a special discount offer. Check it out at justthenews.com slash Freedom Phone. Really fun opportunity if you like a phone that has some additional privacy protection capabilities and also a commitment to apps that are free speech first. Well, then you've got the right phone here. Really fun stuff. We've brought Eric Finman on the show a couple times. Great guy and a young entrepreneur trying to make a difference. And the left has attacked him and technology companies have attacked him. But you know what? He's going strong because his heart is in the right place. And his product has a lot of great features, including an operating system that's very unique. All right, folks. Today, we're going to take you back to the Ronald Reagan era. Yeah, that seems like a while ago, but it's a good conversation to have because it wasn't that long ago that our military, our security thinkers, our private sector, our political leaders put country first, put security first, and didn't slough off, didn't make excuses for emerging clear and present dangers that may threaten our country. That's really how we won the Cold War, right? Without ever having to fire a shot. Uh, we don't have that mindset today. We hear so many Americans and American political leaders slough off, delay, kick the can down the road on things that are now real and present and clear dangers for our country. And of course, China is one of them. Uh, We had the great congressman on yesterday talking about the agricultural elements of what China is doing to gain land in America and, and squeeze our farmers and put America in an economic stranglehold with its own farmland. Think about that, using our own farmland against us, right? That's one small part. But today, we're going to bring in somebody who is going to open your eyes to a much larger vulnerability that China is seeking to exploit and that America is falling by his own account further and further behind. You may never have heard of him, but you have seen the extraordinary work he has done. His name is Ambassador Henry F. Cooper. He was one of the key players in the Strategic Defense Initiative, the Star Wars Initiative, that sought to protect us from Soviet missiles during the end of the Cold War. He became President Bush's chief negotiator on space and defense issues that were negotiated as the Soviet Union was falling apart and America was winning the Cold War. And for much of the last two decades, he has been focused on emerging threats that America is asleep at the switch at. And China, missile technology, EMP technology, 
I've all been in his portfolio. He is one of the most cogent security and defense voices, not only in the United States, but in the world. And though he is in his older years, he brings great wisdom, great words of advice, and he sees an America that is more vulnerable today than at any point in its extraordinary and illustrious history. That's saying something, because we faced grave danger from the War of 1812 after the Revolution to the Civil War to World War I, World War II, the unilateral threat of terrorism. And he believes now that we are more naked, more danger, and than ever uh, by ignoring where China is and what it is capable of doing without having to fire a shot. And these are pretty extraordinary words from a man that has 40 and 50 years of record behind him. So we're going to spend the whole hour with this extraordinary government leader, government thinker, strategic thinker, Ambassador Henry F. Cooper, coming up right after this commercial break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, someone whose commitment to his country and important work goes all the way back to the Reagan years during the SDI Star Wars project, the early efforts for America to defend itself against the growing threat of missiles. Joining us right now as Ambassador Henry Cooper, who was at one time the man who helped negotiate the space and defense treaties with the Soviet Union. Ambassador Cooper, it's so great to have you on the show. Well, I'm pleased to be with you. Your work is really historic, and you've been such an important voice in leaning into the future of security. A lot of times we live by the seat of a pants in America. We're only worried about the next few hours, the next few days, but you've always built a reputation as somebody who was looking out at the threat 10, 5, 10, 20 years out, and You've had some really powerful uh, columns recently talking about the threat that China poses, particularly from a missile standpoint, and the vulnerability of our grid. And uh, I want to just read something that started. You actually mentioned this in a column, but it was such an important quote from the top U.S. intelligence officer for the Pentagon for the Asia-Pacific reason. He said this earlier this month, Rear Admiral Mike Studeman, he said, I'm wondering in Washington how many folks are truly persuaded by the warning which the Intelligence Committee has already provided regarding the dangers that exist within this decade soon, now, with regard to the nature of the Chinese threat and how it manifests and what we do about it, we would say the danger is clear and present already. What was Rear Admiral Mike Studeman talking about in that moment? Well, it's on many fronts, frankly. I'm sure that that, uh, Mike was referring to, and by the way, I know he knew his dad, who was the uh, I think in his last post, the uh, director of the national NSA. Wow. He's been engaged in intelligence uh, matters in entire life, my guess. So in any case, China, I will tell you, you didn't mention it, but I was also the director of the Strategic Defense Initiative in um, the George Herbert Walker Bush administration. That's right, for President Bush, right? That's correct. And uh, I had been defending it 
in our negotiations with the Soviet Union because the Soviets were very concerned about uh, their inability to compete with our technology in that time period. And uh, China uh, was not really in the scene very much during that era, either in the, um, the Reagan administration nor the, uh, the Bush administration, first Bush administration. And so while we considered it, we didn't concern ourselves with the threat. The problem was generated when at the end of the Bush administration, the um, Clinton administration came in and they immediately killed the RSDI program. Right. And in particular, uh, space programs. And uh, it was, uh, it not, not only was a blow to us directly, but it enabled the Chinese in particular to uh, take advantage of that technology, import it, and advance it. And frankly, they uh, pursued the uh, SDI space race activities, uh, whereas we dropped them during uh, that administration, and subsequently, no administration restored them. And that even includes the Trump administration that just was concluded. Uh, Mike Griffin, who was the, uh, as you probably know, the top engineer in the Pentagon and previous uh, uh, administrator at NASA and right, a number of course. other people, he, w- he was my deputy for technology. And Mike and I have stayed friends, and we've talked back and forth about these issues over the years. And he tried to get, even during the Trump administration, some of that space activity revived, and we didn't. And China has pushed ahead with it, and now we're playing catch-up to the technologies that we once led. I'm frankly more concerned about China than I am with Russia, although um, that may be find its source in the fact that I spent five years negotiating with the Soviet Union, and I may I may have a different. I mean, my my perception may not be correct about uh, Putin and and his crowd today. But China has the economic power to really pull off these matters, and we have been ignoring the key technologies now for uh, at least 20 years, and uh, we're playing catch-up, quite honestly. And so China's a major threat, and EMP, electromagnetic pulse, uh, is a, a vulnerability that we have permitted to grow throughout our infrastructure, critical infrastructure upon which we depend. And probably there is no greater area than the uh, electric power grid. And it is vulnerable. It is, I don't think anybody would dispute that that knows anything about the grid. And we are ignoring it. There's not a penny, to my knowledge, being considered in all the stuff going on right now in Washington where they're deliberating on so-called infrastructure and including within whatever they're talking about as infrastructure, all manner of things that betray a a serious lack of seriousness about discussion of infrastructure. And and just imagine a world with no electricity, because that's what would happen. We saw it for a couple of days in Texas during a storm, and we thought the world was coming to an end. Imagine if it was nationwide. Exactly, exactly. So in any case, that's, that's my biggest worry, frankly. And while others can create this problem, in fact, anyone with a nuclear weapon 
uh, can create that issue. And right. that includes North Korea, and it includes Iran, and of course, the Soviet Union and China, and even terrorists, if they were, you know, became, uh, you know, a lackey to one of these powers. Right. Uh, and that's not out of bounds in terms for consideration. No. No, a freelance operation sponsored by a state is a very real possibility, our intelligence community has told us. This is a really remarkable moment because 30 years ago, we were in the forefront. Now we're hearing from you and many other skilled in in the know people that we've fallen behind. And the budgets, the powers that be are not doing anything. And you're hearing military flag officers raising these questions saying, no one's taking us seriously. How did we get to this point? I frankly don't know. I'm really disappointed in many in the Defense Department and others who aren't speaking up more frankly yeah. about these issues. And as you know, uh, I think Jim Inhofe is trying to fight to get more money right. into the defense budget. One of the few. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess Congresswoman Elaine Luria of uh, Virginia has been raising some red flags, but it's like a very small number of people for such a very large threat. It, it, is, it is remarkable to me. I'd like to do a little education because you've, you've done some of the best writing on this subject. And I think a lot of people forget about this, but I think it was 2013 in California, what I would call a small scale terror attack took a large part of the California electric grid off. And, you know, at the time people were worried about other things. They weren't talking about uh, this and it didn't get the attention the media deserved, but it was a real harbinger, I think, of the potential vulnerabilities our grid had. And we're eight years, nine years from that episode where a lot of people in California were offline for several days. And it doesn't seem like our grid is that much more hardened from anything from EMP, low scale terror attack, even uh, cyber hacking. Who should be held accountable for the lack of attention to this threat? Well, frankly, no one was in charge. I would say that the case and uh, still aren't, frankly. During the Trump administration, he um, actually early on in his administration, um, made a statement that indicated he was going to view this issue differently. And he had, had an executive order in early 2019, right. I believe it was, uh, putting the National Security Council in staff in, in charge of these activities. And they sought to negotiate uh, with the powers that be throughout the government, hopefully to get a whole of government response. And while there were some good things that were done, frankly, uh, they didn't really achieve very much in the way of moving it ahead. Senator Ron Johnson, whom I'm sure you know, probably yes. have interviewed, is one on Capitol Hill who gets this issue. He's been very supportive. Actually, Jim Benhoff has been supportive, too, So, in, uh, on occasion. But I would say that Ron Johnson is the best inform- informed senator on this subject. And he has tried to get this problem dealt with. He held hearings uh, explicitly to deal with these issues, had uh, uh, Dr. George Baker, who after that hearing became uh, uh, a key staffer on the National Security Council staff trying to pull these issues together, uh, did a fine job while he was there. But of course, with the change of administration, he is no longer there. And to my knowledge, uh, he has not been replaced with anyone of equal stature or knowledge. So right now we're rudderless uh, in the water on dealing with this issue during the the Trump administration. I wish it weren't so, but that's a fact. And when you ask how it came to be this way, we ignored the problem for far too long. We started to deal with it during the Trump era, 
but the institutions of the government really were not responsive. And uh, I'm working on another article right now for Newsweek, uh, Newsmax, uh, detailing, you know, uh, when um, Governor Granholm was going through her confirmation hearings, uh, Senator Murkowski asked her quite explicitly questions about the grid. And she made clear she understood what the issues were in both the, both the uh, if I use bulk power grid, um, I don't know whether your listeners will know what that is, but those are the power plants and the high voltage transmission lines that deliver, deliver electricity throughout the nation right. to a number of um, uh, uh, smaller companies and, and uh, electrical co-ops around the nation. And they are the ones who deliver electricity to the individuals in the country, our, you know, our hospitals, homes, businesses emergency responders, all those folks who depend on electricity, they don't get their money, their their delivery out of the transmission lines. They go through these transformers that I wrote about the articles that you're talking about. And they're key elements of the grid that we have not protected. We haven't even tested to, to understand what their vulnerabilities are. George Baker, when he was with the NSC, tried very hard to get something going in that area, but was not able to make it happen. And it's been blocked by the Department of Energy, among others. When um, when Ms. Granholm was going through the confirmation hearings, Senator Murkowski asked her specifically about this problem in the context of the cyber threat. Right. But uh, And she answered it, and she gave the direct answer. Over 90% of the grid are these distribution lines that aren't being dealt with. And she promised that she was going to deal with them in some fashion or other, uh, you know, if she became Secretary of Energy. Well, she's now been the Secretary of Energy for, I don't remember exactly how many months, but that was in January. Yeah. And so, as I know, nothing has happened. Yeah, I can find no evidence either. Um, The danger here or the reality that we face is that China, which, by the way, has EMP, Electronic Magnetic Pulse, technology built into their military doctrine, it's actually included in the doctrine of China, that they could literally cripple the United States and take us down without ever having to fire a traditional military shot. And I think that's what some people like former Secretary of the Navy, William Middendorf, have said. There is such a malaise in Washington. It's as though we, every time we hear the word China, there's a larger number of people say they're friends still, they're still our friend. And what sort of education process do we need in America to understand that China poses to this generation of America the sort of threats that the Soviet Union uh, posed to our Cold War era of America. It seems as though there's such a malaise about China that we don't we don't seem to take it seriously, despite all the harbinger warnings of of people like the Rear Admiral, yourself, and so many others. Uh, uh, how did we get to be so I hate to use the word dumb on this subject? I don't know. I guess uh, we thought you know the. Cold War was over, and we were going to have peace in our time. That was the, uh, you remember Francis uh, Frank Fukuyama uh, right. wrote a book called The History, and uh, thinking that it was all going to change. Well, and and I must say, uh, I, when I was running the SDI program, I, I worked with our allies, even worked with the uh, former Soviets in Russia to do some comparable things together during that period. But that ball was dropped at the end of the Bush administration when the Clinton administration came in. And um, 
went back to the Cold War idea that our best way of protecting the American people was something called um, assured destruction. Right. I, I don't know yeah. what the listeners what that is, but basically it's a threat of mutual suicide with the Soviet Union, which most people thought kept us safe throughout the Cold War. I, I must say I was a skeptic throughout that period, but nevertheless, the people during the Clinton years, and unfortunately after that, made it illegal as a matter of policy to defend the American people. And and I, I fear that there are a lot of people in the federal establishment today that still adhere to that practice. Bill Middendorf was a, a personal friend, too, and uh, I, I know he was really, uh, he tried his best during the short period when we had some, uh, when Yeltsin was the uh, president, I right. guess it was, of Russia. Right. of trying to get started working together. And I think we had a real chance of making a long-standing difference. But that was thrown in the trash when the Clinton crowd came in and made that the uh, cornerstone of stability is what they re- referred to it as. Mutual assured destruction is the cornerstone of strategic stability. And they went back to that mode of thinking. And in the meantime, while we have uh, now woken up a bit to to building serious defenses, and I'm, I'm really of the Navy's Aegis system, which I was able to uh, help get started on my watch. It is the best, in my judgment, uh, global missile defense that we have today, that and the, uh, the Israeli systems, which also got the major start on my watch. Yeah. So defenses make a big difference. We know they will, not only in combat, but also in deterring I believe, deterring uh, adversaries who might be willing to risk attacking us and uh, and leaving and in our defense defenseless state, we would be vulnerable to. Yeah, so we, we've got a lot of recovery, both in education to deal with this problem, as well as real capability in the, um, in the private sector. It's um, remarkable. There was a think tank in the Pentagon, which was created 40 years ago specifically to study the Chinese threat. And uh, over the years, it, it early on saw the China threat. And then during the Obama years and through much of the Trump years, even as President Trump was clearly echoing how important the China threat was, this this thing, thing kept producing study after study, suggesting oh, we don't really need to worry that much about China. And it seems like so much of official Washington has bought into the idea that the Chinese are still behind us. They're never going to catch up. Uh, but then you hear you hear the, what the rear admiral said. You hear what Chris Ray said a year ago about how much China has stolen its way to the front of technological innovation. We, if we get to a point where we start to agree, Democrat and Republican alike, that we have a problem, we have fallen behind, what are the three or four steps that you, as a strategic thinker, somebody who's been thinking this way for 40 years, uh, what are three or four steps America needs to do to try to catch up and to put itself on a defensive par with China? Well, I think we have to revive our serious space programs. I would put very high probability priority on that. Uh, we haven't talked about it, but have you heard of Brilliant Pebbles? Do you know what that was? I have not, no. Okay, well, on actually on my watch, we began that program too, and we uh, determined that it was... Uh, possible to deploy a large number of very small satellites, very smart satellites that could maneuver and uh, carry on board the sensors and the computing power uh, to perform intercepts in space 
beginning of launches and while rockets were still rising from their launch pads all the way through flight and to where they could uh, return to the Earth. Now, today, with what um, Elon Musk is doing with his SpaceX program, right. we're seeing that laid out in real time, that cap- in inherent capability, not for missile defense, because it's, it's all about right. uh, commercial interest. Right. And that's where the cutting edge, in my judgment, is today, is in the private sector. But we knew 30 years ago in uh, the late 1980s how to do this job with space-based defenses. And uh, we even, if you ever go to the Smithsonian, well, let's let me back up. Uh, during the latter days of my watch, uh, some Democrats on Capitol Hill, including Les Aspen, who became Secretary of Defense, and sure. Sam Nunn, who chaired, who chaired the Armed Services Committee, made it very clear to me they were going to kill the Brilliant Pebbles program. So I called into my office some key people and said, invent for me a program that we can space qualify this key technology that Lawrence Livermore Laboratories actually had developed, and for some other reason. And they put together a program, it was called Clementine, uh, which returned ultimately to the moon for the first time in a quarter century and mapped the moon's surface in, uh, I don't remember how many million frames of, of data and a number of spectral bands. And actually, they were the ones on that mission that discovered water in the polar regions. NASA has has uh, claimed that they did it, but you can go to the Smithsonian downtown Washington next to the lunar lander. You can see a, a replica of the Clementine spacecraft that actually did that work. I got uh, the people at Naval Research Labs to lead it because if I had put the people in charge at Lawrence Livermore Labs, the Capitol Hill would have killed it. Yep. Well, in any case, we used the, the first thing, right? Yeah. In, yeah. When the Clinton administration came in, uh, Les Aspen within weeks said, uh, we're taking the stars out of Star Wars. And he scuttled all of the technologies that we were pursuing at that time and even turned loose, dispersed the technical community that had been working on that technology. Mm. And China got it. I mean, they, they actually captured it, captured it, whether you want to refer to it as buying their way in or whatever. Right. But by way of uh, small companies, Surrey in particular in the Great Britain, was the uh, pathway of the, uh, of the Brilliant Pebbles technology mm. to the Chinese. And that was in the 1990s. So here you go. They have been working these issues now for 20 plus years. years, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And our private sector, which, which is our hope for the future, quite honestly, in my judgment. I, I don't have any confidence in the federal government at this point. They have become so bureaucratic and their thinking is so stale that I'm not sure that we can keep up. Wow. And our only hope is in the private sector and the technologies that are being pursued. If we only get a leader that would pull those issues together in a coherent way, I wish I were 20 years younger. <laughs> Well, you still are an articulate and powerful voice in this space. How do we protect the grid? So we get a space uh, program going is one of your recommendations so that we can defend against these attacks using modern day space technology. What about all those power lines you were talking about? What sort of hardening of defenses can we do there? Well, we know how to do that. Uh, This just doesn't require uh, an invention. Another shadow in my closet, a skeleton or whatever, was (laughs) when I really 
I got involved in nuclear weapons effects at the Air Force Weapons Laboratory. At the time, we discovered catastrophic, potentially, EMP was. We knew on the high-altitude test that we conducted uh, in South Pacific right. that there was going to be EMP, but we were surprised by the magnitude of that threat and immediately became so highly classified that you couldn't discuss it. Uh, I couldn't no talk kidding. my wife with doing it. Absolutely. And we went to work uh, to protect our most important strategic systems. Our Minutemen, uh, you know, the sea launch ballistic missiles, our bombers, right. the command and control systems that assured that the president could control these systems. We protected them against EMP, but we did not protect the electric power grid nor any other of the key critical civil infrastructure <laughs> against them. And that's the problem we've run into. The EMP commission was established Roscoe Bartlett, when he was... Um, yeah, congressman and, uh, from Maryland, right? Yeah. Maryland and Kurt Weldon, who chaired the... Uh, yep. Defense Appropriations uh, Committee, right? One of the armed services, I believe it was. But yeah. in any case, they got the EMP commission set up. And if you haven't talked with Peter Pry, Peter's the guy who's been associated with that activity ever since then. At the time, I think he was still a staffer up on Capitol Hill. But, but very knowledgeable. And the EMP Commission was made up of a lot of really good technical people who had lived with this problem during the period I'm talking about. Amazing. Uh, Bill Graham aired the commission right. as a lieutenant at the Air Force Weapons Laboratory when I was there. And he was working the EMP issues, and he chaired the EMP Commission. So we know how to deal with this problem. And um, in a project we did in South Carolina, just working with the local authorities, did an assessment of the distribution grid uh, in York County, which is neighboring to Charlotte in North Carolina, right. um, and, 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 and of, of the hardness that needed to be provided in the distribution grid there, it turned out to be like $100 per York County citizen. Now, I've been to dinner this week a couple of times with my wife, and I spent $100, you know, but that's a one-time cost to protect the grid. So we know how to do it. We know we can afford it. The problem is purely bureaucratic and um, whatever you want to call it, political. Uh, and and I don't know how we take a two-by-four to these people in Washington to begin to deal with this issue. Part of the problem is it's very complicated. We've got a regulatory system in which the, uh, the federal agents are not responsible for regulating the activities within the states. Every state has its own regulatory committee, uh, so, uh, organization with respect to the uh, the uh, distribution grid, which is the bulk of our the the most of our grid. Even though the bulk power grid is regulated by the feds, so and that's why that's being addressed. However, inadequately, it's being done. It's all in the bulk power grid, the transmission lines and the and the power stations. And and the local part can be afforded and done, uh, and it's a political problem. Uh, and, and the energy companies themselves pay for a lot of the regulatory work that goes on. We were, you mentioned Texas. Bob Hall is a state senator in Texas, and if you want to talk to him, I can maybe set that up. He was in the Air Force as a junior officer at the same time I was, working on Minuteman 3 
to harden it to EMP. He knows what needs to be done. And he has now tried for three sessions of Texas, Texas legislature. And as you probably know, they uh, meet only every other year. So it's for six years he's been trying to get that problem dealt with for the EMP threat and other threats to the grid and without much success, I have to say. So it's appalling. And one of these days it's going to happen. The sun will assure it happens at some point. We won't know when that's going to occur until it does, but it will take down the grid. And, you know, it's in God's hands then as to what happens. Uh, But in the meantime, we have a number of adversaries that also can do that. Remarkable to hear you say that you who work so eloquently and successfully in the United States government through the military and through all of our key institutions to keep us safe during the Cold War. Now you look at the United States government and you see a government that's incapable of really providing the security. And you're talking about, we know we're going to need the private sector. We're going to need Elon Musk. We're going to need other folks. How did our government become so incapable of handling the very first priority our founding fathers handed the federal government, which is to keep America safe? How did we get to that point that you can't trust the military to get the job of protecting America done because they're not thinking strategically anymore? Well, I'm not sure how we got this way. Part of it really happened because we weren't paying attention. Um, Ignorance, right? Where the expertise lay, and in fact, George Baker that I mentioned to you once oversaw these programs in the uh, Defense Department. Uh, And so he's well aware of what I've talked about and what it takes to protect the grid and tried to make that happen in the NSC. So uh, you you can't point to just an institution. We ignored it deliberately. I think, as I've already said, Fukuyama, Fukushima, I forget his, exactly how you say the name, Francis, anyway, you know, said it was the end of history and we were going to have peace in our time. And a lot of people went to sleep. And uh, the Defense Nuclear Agency changed its name several times. It's now called the Defense Reduction Agency, right. I think it is. Yeah, right. And then yeah. took a, undertook an arms control role. In between, it was a Defense Special Weapons Agency, and it took more of an interest in chemical and biological threats yep. uh, back 20 or so years ago. And, and, on and this, the, right? heritage, the heritage that Bill Graham and I grew up with went away in the Air Force. The weapons lab is off doing other things. They're doing good things with lasers, I think, now and maybe some other places. But the institutions of government that were once responsible, and we did nuclear tests, too, to understand what was going on. And we exposed our military systems to those tests so that we could validate our means. We haven't had a nuclear test now since 1992. So we just... Turned, turned off. And uh, I don't know what it's going to take to wake us up. And the, only, the reason I point to hope in the uh, private sector is because at least they're not burdened down with a bureaucracy. Yeah, they can move quicker. Such an important point. Well, Mr. Ambassador, your wisdom, first, your service to your country is unparalleled. And we thank you on behalf of all of our listeners and the, the readers of Justin News for your extraordinary service to your country, but also the wisdom here. We have become so short-sighted. We live in the moment in America, and there's very few people looking out five and 10 and 15 years at the threat set that we are about to encounter. And um, it is such an honor to have someone on this show that's doing that daily, still being a cogent voice in the security space for 
for the good of our country. We are, we are deeply grateful for all that you do for us. Well, thank you very much, John. And we're going to follow up on this issue. I'd like to get back in touch in a few weeks and a few months and get an update because we got to be watching this very, very closely. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. Thank you, sir. It's been an honor to talk to you. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Uh, what an interview. What a lot to think about that the ambassador gave us. Ambassador Cooper is uh, that light on a hill that is warning us of the danger that lies ahead. And the question that he asked is the same question that the Rear Admiral asked in that little quote I read from you from Rear Admiral Studeman. Are we asleep? Are we asleep at the switch? Are we not paying attention to the clear and present danger, as Admiral Studeman said, about China and its capabilities, particularly as it relates to the grid vulnerabilities, as it relates to missile technology, as it relates to space technology. You heard the ambassador say, we went from being ahead to being behind. How alarming is that? We need to be dialed in, all of us. We need to hold to account our leaders who aren't paying attention to this. We need to sound off. We need to support the people who are making these issues known and fighting for funding and strategic concepts. You know, Congresswoman Elaine Luria, Democrat from Virginia, Senator Ron Johnson, we've mentioned. There are a handful of people, the Rear Admiral, who are speaking the truth and trying to clamor the pans, try to get our attention, but there isn't a whole lot in people. We'd rather talk about woke issues and, and um, change curricula when, in fact, the extraordinary integrity and security of the United States is in clear and present danger, according to the man whose job it is to watch it, right? Admiral Mike Studeman, the top U.S. intelligence officer for the military in the Asia-Pacific region, says, we are not ready. We are asleep at the switch. He's not alone in saying that. Many, many other people do this. Congresswoman Luria, Democrat, right? Wrote uh, in the Wall Street Journal just three, four weeks ago, does the Pentagon take China seriously? Wow, that's a big big question that someone who knows a Democrat challenging this Pentagon under the Biden administration. They're not thinking strategically enough, China. That's what the experts are telling us. That's why we have this show to give you warnings and harbingers and information and facts that you might not be getting from the rest of the media. We're so grateful you listen. Tomorrow, we're going to have another fun show. We've got some media personalities coming on later this week, and we've got Jenny Beth Martin, one of the great leaders of the Tea Party movement, who has been instrumental in supporting the Cuba freedom fighters and in the push to get Cuba liberated from its six decades of communism. She's going to be here tomorrow to talk about what happened at that incredible rally yesterday in Washington and so many other things that are on the front lines. Until then, let's take a break. Have a good night with your family. Enjoy that family dinner. Throw on some Kansas City steaks if you got them. Uh, some wild Alaskan seafood. We know where all they are. They're great sponsors here at Just the News. Support them you also reward yourself when you do that. They're amazing folks. 
We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.